Let's see. All right. I am here with Emil Fisher. He has a friend with him in the car as well. So who knows what'll happen. Um, but Emil's on his way to training. And uh, I'll tell you, so I had Sean Doherty on the podcast and Sean is somebody, I don't know if he's currently your coach, but he, what he was coaching. He was one, one, of, he's one of my coaches. He's one of my coaches. He's one of my coaches. Yeah. And uh, Sean, I don't yeah, he, he's got an interesting, you got an interesting group of guys over there. Cause I got talking to him and I, I mean, I'm pretty familiar with John Gunther and, <laughs> and some of those guys and you're kind of, I don't want to say, I don't know the right word, but you guys are definitely more alternative than the average jujitsu group. Would you say that? I'm sorry. What was that? More alternative than the average jujitsu group kind of against the grain, unique minded people, I would say. Uh, I mean, it's, so here's the thing, Sean, every, everybody that trains with Sean for the most part are not like guys that he brought up from white belt. So like Sean only recently kind of came back onto the scene. He started teaching again, really in earnest in 2016, because we kind of dusted out of retirement yeah so like you have to uh, you have to forgive me i i have a gps running for driving um excuse me but uh so like cody stevens for example was already on purple belt and had already you know at least at least at least when 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 sean and reconnected i know they had trained together um under uh john Taylor. gotcha but like like gunther for example gunther was kind of on and off the radar for, for sean um i was already nearing purple belt when i met sean like i got my purple belt a couple months after we first started training so like i, I think that in that regard and and everybody that trains with sean for the most part has a certain kind of like open mindset when it comes to how to train yeah yeah well i'll tell you this. so so for people who don't know uh emil is been on fight to win a lot of times has had a lot of bigger matches um i've seen you compete in, in the scene a good bit you've been on you you have like you know you you've developed a, an interesting clout and i would say since jeff glover you remind me a lot of kind of the next person along the line of having that playful it's not like an eastern go with the flow style like it doesn't look totally zen it doesn't look totally like this almost aikido meets jujitsu but you do have this playful go with it sort of energy i guess a, a good question would be do you get tired when you roll do you get tired in competition hey do i get tired when i roll no he doesn't Right. I mean, like, I, I, I feel like I do, but like, I just keep going and like, I can keep, I, I, I can, I, you know how like the Diaz brothers are kind of volume strikers where yes. they're like just hitting you and like, they're not hitting you hard ever, but like, they're just hitting you constantly. Like, fuck, did you stop? I, I like to think like the two style, good, but there's just so much of it that it's like, oh, fuck. Right. Exactly. And then, yeah. and then I'll just stop. I'll just, like, at a certain point, I'll just kind of stop and be like, you know what? You seem like you want to do something to me, so go ahead. You can do some stuff to me. 
see it'll be fine it'll be good it'll be fun I don't know. Now, now is this style something that you develop just kind of on your own is there like is there like a teaching concept or was there like an obvious print like concept of like not resisting and going with things was there anything that you were taught that led you here because i think this is a little selfish of me but i try to be the way that that you go with things and grapple but it's not something i've been taught specifically like what concept are you following when you are playful but but i know you like shrimping is pr- like like moving with things and rotating what are you doing that allows you to almost do nothing but still get somewhere <laughs> oh that's a good question so like the big thing for me i've been doing jujitsu off and on for about 22 years um, right. and in that time I've aged, I've, uh, you know, I've gone through different phases where like different moves were my, my, my go-to. And at a certain point I realized that I am never going to be able to go head to head against an elite guy. Like I'm never going to be able to just like go up to, you know, somebody really good, take them down you know, pass their guard, get the side control, spit them type of thing. It's not going to happen. It's not going to fucking happen. So if I want to beat such a person, there needs to be some subterfuge. There needs to be some sort of like exchange of position. Um, I, I realize that I'm not going to be able to stop a really good player from putting, from putting me where they want to put me. But instead, what I can do is I can offer them what I call positional fool's goal where it looks really fucking good. It looks like a great position to be in, but there's something different about the position to where I am adjacent to a submission or I'm adjacent to a positional improvement. And so that, that's generally speaking how I approach my jujitsu. It's that I'm not trying to beat you straightforward because if I do and you are worthy of facing me, there's a good chance I'm going to lose. Right. So instead, I'm going to give you a series of options that seem too good to be true and are. Exactly. I mean, it's not exactly a matador approach, but it is kind of like a bull and a matador to a degree. There's some sort Absolutely. of... Yeah. You know, you open the obvious door and then you probably do. I mean, I've seen you use some sort of like torque or something that forces an angle away from you. And then you you have an opportunity because you have a big, strong guy, but he's not facing the exact direction he needs to be. And then you pounce. And I, th- what, what seems to really help too, is you're, you're so crafty and creative with, with leg locks. I saw you leg lock a dude like, um, I, I guess I, it's hard to explain, but you had his foot across the opposite side armpit and then pulled his heel towards the center of your chest to create that torque. Do um, you know what I'm talking about? Is that, is that even yeah. a common submission? Well, so here's, what, here's, here's a, a thing that helps. I'm a lot stronger than I look, okay. and I can apply a lot of force very quickly if I want to. I just try not to do that because it's counterproductive 99.999% of the time to just fucking rail something. Yeah. But in that 0.01%, that's where I get that finish. That makes sense. If I get get on something, even if it's not a proper angle, I can just snap the bone if I need to. 
Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, man. I, I have like a concept that, that perhaps maybe you can relate to this where I like to be very familiar with my volume zero. So like you, you probably burst up to volume 10 and then guys can't turn it back to zero. They turn it back to six or seven and that's their baseline. You go back to zero, you're chilling. They're worked up because you just bursted and went for something right. and they stay in that like peak aerobic zone. And then it's not necessarily like a karate blitz, but there is, I, that's why I like to use the word Zen. And I, I see that um, there's also a comedic nature that, psychologically throws a lot of guys off that you go against, whether it's the lead ups in the match, how pissed yeah. off do, do do you do that to people that you don't know? Like you're traveling today to train. If there's somebody in the gym that you don't know, that seems kind of serious, seems like maybe they don't have a, the craftiest sense of humor or the most playful style. Will you mess with them? It depends on my mood and it depends on the person. Um, it depends on my physical state that day. Like, if I'm a bit banged up, I'm going to take it very seriously because I don't want to get hurt. You know, but like, if I'm like, if I'm fresh and I'm, I'm feeling good, I don't fucking care. Go ahead. We'll treat it like a match. Right. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I, I trained with a guy, Ellis Karadak. I don't know if you know him. He has the egg guard invitational stuff. I know. Well, I know who Ellis is. He's a, he's a Grippo repo moment. Yeah, that's that's definitely not his highlight, but it's what he's most known for. Most famous, most famous moment. I know Ellis is good. Yeah, and he he's he has a little bit of like that same kind of you in him. You guys have that same sort of personality on the mat, and it's I I love it. I admire it, but uh, yeah, it it can be it can be something to deal with. You know, he he smacks dudes' heads and and does weird things it wouldn't you know he got he got uh <laughs> penalized for flashing a dude uh he got i think he got a dq or a point taken off for doing that like flashing a guy with his you know rash guard in the middle you play what you call well i don't know if this is what you call it or but it, corpse guard is what people call it and where you just i guess essentially just kind of go limp and pretend you're dead for a second and then you pick your entry when it makes the most sense or whatever is that something that just came from being playful or is that like a conscious thought so it started with the burt reynolds guard which is a real guard um by my dvd uh yeah there's a there's, so the burt reynolds guard um the way that started was i was training with some smaller weaker training partners and i was trying to figure out a way to kind of level the playing field for them a little bit like give them something that is not everything and then kind of work from there. Yeah. And so um, I was doing this and uh, I found that some opponent, like when I would play it in competition, some opponents would be like, all right, fine, fuck you. And they just kind of walk away from me. At that point, it's like, all right, fine. If you don't want to fucking come here and grapple with me, if you want to do jujitsu, I'm just going to take a nap. Yeah. Like there, there are so many people in this sport who don't who want to do the minimal amount of jiu-jitsu. Like, I'm sorry, you're a grown man. I'm not going to get up and chase you around the fucking mat. It's not going to happen. Right. It's not going to happen. I'm here. I'm giving you a positional dominance. Let's play. Let's do some jiu-jitsu. 
Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, man. There's some people, you know what I, th- you, you probably know what I mean when I say this, but some people it's like, they, they don't want you to not try. They don't want you to try your best. Neither one of those is good enough. They want you to try just hard enough where it makes it look like you're trying really hard, but still not good enough to straight up dominate them. It's like, what do you want from me, man? Right. You know? It's like a Goldilocks. It's like, it's like, you know, can't be too hard. Can't be too soft. Just, be just right. And yeah. it's something that honestly at the black belt level, <coughs> excuse me, I know I'm going to need to contend with. Like, I know that it's going to be a problem for me at the black belt level. And so I am currently working on strategies to be more aggressive. I'm working on wrestle ups. I'm working on like things that I never worked on before because the fact that I know that at the level that I compete at right now, that's going to be what I'm going to run into. Like I'm doing a tournament at the end of the month, uh, Sapatero, and I know that like there's a couple of guys on that card that have potential to give me trouble because of the fact they don't want to do shit. To right. Yeah. Now, now when you're going against somebody that is a big, powerful dominant person that maybe you're the underdog does it bring out a straighter side to your jiu-jitsu where you kind of have to use your a game and you're kind of nervous about getting in that flat back uh smashed position or does it bring out the opposite even maybe where you're like okay i gotta just be completely unorthodox and completely wild and weird because i have the problem when i go against a college wrestler or something that's when i feel like i need to be the most straightforward and not get flattened out but that might just be being a heavyweight too it i i or maybe i haven't even advanced my ability to kind of do what you do enough do you feel confident against like a powerhouse college wrestler type uh, maybe like the nicky rod of of your weight do you feel comfortable being total playful it depends yeah it depends on what that person's trying to accomplish are they trying to submit me or are they trying to control me positionally? I ran into this issue in a match that I had against uh, Sloan Climber at Fight to Win 149, I think, okay. last summer, where Sloan's, Sloan was content to hold position. Sloan had no desire to submit me. Sloan made no effort to submit me. I mean, he did, but he didn't. Like, he made a very minimal effort to submit me. He held position and held it for the entirety of the five-minute match, six-minute match. On a timeline, I think I win that match 99 times out of 100. However, on a six-minute timeline, that's a different animal, right? Like, right. I don't think he's going to submit me. He could, you know, I gave him his best submission thinking that, you know, he'd really he'd try it, get frustrated, and go for something else. But instead, he just held the position. And he was a big, strong guy, and he did a good job holding the position, and he won the match fair and square. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything about him. But if he had tried to submit me, if he had made an effort beyond holding position to submit me, to make me pass, that would have changed the nature of the game. So I think it depends on whether or not that person is willing to take any risk at all any positional adjustments to try to actually get a submission. If they are, then I think I win. If they're not, then I think I lose by referee's decision or by point. 
you said something there that I think is important. I kind of want to maybe make some bullet points for like the white belts, the blue belts, or even, even people, uh, purple belt, whatever, who are listening to this, maybe looking to take more than just getting to know you and, and what they can apply to the game. You said you gave him his submission. You gave him his ideal thing. And, and that is, that is something that's fascinating because sometimes I fight tooth and nail to avoid letting them pass and I get stuck in half guard for the entirety of it. I avoid giving them what they want, but because of that, I just wind up grip fighting in a neutral position and, and nothing happens. It can be very, very freeing. And, and if, and if you have nothing else going for you, it's probably not a bad idea to experiment with giving them exactly what they want and then learning how to not let that be the death of you. You know, that that's something that's uniquely you, but it's something that I think more people could experiment with. Do you, what do you, what do you think about that? People are more interested in fighting to not lose than they are in fighting to win. Yeah. And so as a result, we see this a lot. We see a lot of like these stalemated, boring matches where nothing happens. Like I had a match about a month ago or no, like two months ago now, um, in upstate New York at the, uh, Hudson Valley Grappling Invitation. Shout out Mike, Mike Wacker. Um, and at that event, uh, I was partnered, or my, my opponent, it was a, uh, I want to say Marcelo Garcia affiliate, black belt, and uh, division, division one wrestler. Okay, so like right. exactly what you're describing, a big, scary wrestler man. And the man, I mean, the poor guy was, was just too scared to engage, like did not want to do jujitsu with me. So for the first half of the match, he kind of pranced around my guard, wouldn't engage, wouldn't get in my guard, would not do much, would occasionally kind of dive into my half guard for about like, you know, 10, 15 seconds, and then would like fight to get out and get out and then like continue circling one he needed to submit me or at least submit me to win the match and he never did it yeah and I like that but at this point at the black belt level I have to be willing to because I'm not going to give this I'm not going to give this big strong college wrestler side control even though I know that I want to even though logic to uh, scoring when it comes to if he's not trying to advance the position, points start racking up for the for the for the man, you know, the down man. But it is what it is. Right, right. Yeah. Um you're breaking up just a hair with that. I, just in case people don't know, Emil's driving to a gym. So it might go in and out. And if I lose him, uh we'll just pick right back up and oh well the conversation is what it is. Um but can you hear me all right? Cool. Perfect. Yeah. I think we got the gist of that though. Talking about going against the guy, uh, not wanting to get, I, I, I get what you mean. I want to speaking of really strong guys, we have a mutual opponent. Okay. And I don't know if you know really who this guy is or who he was when you went against him, but I always say he's the strongest guy I've ever gone against. Okay. Do you remember going against a large man by the name of Victor? Yeah. Dude, how I, I how strong is that motherfucker? I mean, I, I didn't really feel his strength. Like, he oh. was strong. Like, he was, a, he 
he was a big, strong guy. To be honest with you, I felt like I felt like he kind of again he approached the match. He was trying to get to that scoreful position. Right. Yeah, he got there, and then the match ended. Right. You know, like he was. Listen, he was very strong, but is he the strongest guy I've gone against? I mean, I've gone against some some monsters. Like I went against a uh, one guy up here. He was, I think, a hair over three hundred and fifty pounds. Yes. And, like a strong man and like a brown belt at the time. He recently got his black belt, or later got his black belt. Like there's, like, I go against strong guys all the time. It's, it's strength doesn't really phase me. I also yeah. train in a gym. Like some of my training partners are stupidly strong. Right. And even Abe here's not weak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no i uh I, I get what you mean and plus uh, it, it, there's a difference too when you're a seasoned brown black belt and you're strong it's a different type of strength that guy though like deadlifts 900 fucking pounds and was going for a world record atlas stone lift so i mean he's like strong in that nature um yeah yeah yeah, yeah it was very strong i would love like a long form rematch with him and right see what's like honestly like because I will say this. He he was no bitch. Like the guy kept coming out. Like it wasn't like it wasn't like he landed in a good position and was like, Phew, I survived. He was trying to submit me. So like credit where it's due. Yeah. Credit where it's due. Like, yeah, you know, I, I, I had nothing bad to say about Victor Bullet. If you're listening, Victor, good job, buddy. Yeah. But like, did I feel his strength as an overwhelming weapon? No. Right. Maybe right. in a point setting, in a point setting, yes. In a point setting, I couldn't fucking move him. But there's a lot of guys I can't move. I, I train a bit with a couple of, um, like, I, I train a bit with uh, one of the coaches for the Cleveland Browns. Okay. And, I mean, he's a former NFL lineman. That's a strong motherfucker. Like, right. that guy grabs a hold of my ankle, and he's got my leg. Like, he'll grab it. His hand is stronger than my leg. Like, I can't kick my leg free. I need to use another two limbs to get, a, to get my leg out of there. Oof. Like, that guy, that guy's strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what you, you know, mean. Victor was strong, too. Yeah, for me, near me, I've I've went up to back when Studio 84 was a thing. I went up and trained with Nikki Rod some, and then we got Max Geminis right near me, um, who's another, you know, top that that's that's another level when you're talking about like elite right. heavyweight who's also strong as shit. Yeah, that that's a problem to deal with, man. Nikki Rod is maybe not in the gym as strong as Victor, but Nikki Rod is uh holy shit, man. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say Nicky Rod. Probably Victor would beat Nicky Rod in, in an Atlas Stone competition. Yeah, and probably Nicky Rod would beat Victor in a Jiu Jitsu competition or in a grappling. Yeah. I might just might guess. I could be wrong, but you know. <laughs> it's not a bad guess. I think that's that's pretty good. Now, all right, this is this is a good question. Your first few competitions, first few matches. What was it like as you were stepping onto the mat? And then we'll do a kind of how you feel now stepping onto the mat because you're somebody that competes all the time. Um, I, I'm the same way. I've had hundreds of uh, jujitsu matches and, and you're very comfortable, kind of like almost um, 
I mean, I don't know how many matches you've had, but I imagine you've had 300 grappling matches or something. I mean, over the span of your career, you've at least had over a hundred, right? Uh, I mean, I think I've won like 70 gold medals, so I have to have had over a yeah. hundred. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't count the matches. I count the medals. Okay. Well, that's, but, yeah. Um, as far as, uh, you know, my first, so... I've been doing jujitsu off and on since 99. I did my first grappling match. I did my first jujitsu tournament in 2011. Um, in 2011, I was training and I was a white belt and uh, I had just started training again. Like I had just like, I'd taken a lot of time off. I never competed. I never had really trained formally. Um, I had done some great jujitsu. I had my college going to in upstate New York had a jujitsu club, so like I would go to that. But as a grappler, I was very much a green white belt. Like I was like I was getting back into it, and you know, yeah, it was what it was. Um. So when I started getting back into it in 2011, I did my first mat, my first tournament, and I froze up and I couldn't do anything, and none of the moves that I had worked, and I couldn't do jujitsu. Like I was just, I was frozen. I felt like I'm sure my opponents feel going against me. Like they're just freezing up, shaking. Like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Right? Right. And that was my first tournament. Then my second tournament, I landed my first submission in competition and then got my ass kicked the rest of the day for the most part. Right? Like, I did okay, but then not really. Like, the guy that I did okay against sucked. I don't think he trains anymore. Then it was like, from there, it was, I finally won a gold medal. My fourth, I think, my fourth or fifth competition, I cut weight for it i focused on it i like, took it super duper serious but like again i was very stressed i only played a handful of positions because those were the ones that i was comp comp competent comfortable with and like it was it was nervous it was nerve nerve-wracking sorry um and then i i kept competing like once Every every once in a while, for a while, and then I picked up my first sponsor that would actually like pay for me to, and that was that was the game changer for me. That was right. that was what made all the difference. The, the at that point, I started competing like once or twice a month, and it took about six months for me to go from feeling a certain as far as I'm concerned, I've trained, I've put the hours in, I've put the road time in, driving to, you know, train with, with really good guys. Um, I mean, I'm about to be training now in about 45 minutes an hour with possibly on forty. And whoever else that whoever else is there for them. So like it's gonna be a good a good training session. Um my point being it became another day in the office. Right. 
it's just another it's just another training session with somebody that I'm allowed to hurt. Competition's easier for me than training. When I'm training, I not only have to protect me, but I also have to have to protect you. In competition, the only thing that matters is protecting myself and breaking you off. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That that I mean, I can relate for sure. Um, when, when, when you're, when you're training and you're worried about hurting other people, um, it's, it's interesting because especially like being a stranger to a gym, dude, if you go to a gym today, that's not your gym and somebody gets hurt rolling you, somebody could get really fucking pissed at you and people then could try to hurt you as a result. Yep. Correct. Yeah. And, and, uh, in competition, you don't have to worry about that. Have you ever actually like, like, have you really seriously injured somebody in competition? Are you asking if I've done that? Yeah. Is, have you had like a catastrophic, like, Oh shit moment? Like, sorry, I didn't, you know, but somebody like something snapped bad. I'm sure like leg lock stuff, like people let shit pop, but. I mean, you- I, I, I mean like there's, there's shit where the guy let it happen. There's shit where it's like, I did not mean to put that amount of force behind that submission right. at this moment. Uh, that's only happened to me maybe once. Once. Yeah. Where like, it, where it was one of those things. I was going against, I'm not going to name, I'm not going to name him because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to shame him. Good guy. Good right. guy. Like really, really solid human being. And, um, you know, we were like talking before the match and like we have some mutual friends who are kind of bantering, like super nice guy. And then we get out on the mat and this guy's a, this guy's actually a handful. Like he's a really good, like a really good black belt. Um, now I think he was a brown belt at the time, but like a well-respected, well-rounded black belt. Uh, yeah. brown belt. And, uh, we get out there and I forget what it was that he did to score points on me, but he scored some points. But he was like still like he was still in the game. We were still kind of scrambling around. And I knew that I had to do something if I wanted to win the match. And I snagged an Achilles lock in one of the scrambles. And he kept scrambling, not realizing that I had it. And my hips went over and just broke his ankle like in half. Damn. Um, the craziest thing about this to me, this guy kept competing that day and won his division. This was in an absolute. Wow. Our match. He won his division with a broken ankle. Like not top, not, you know, whatever. It was fucking broken. And he won his division like that. He hop out onto the mat, full guard. <laughs> And then fucking was winning his matches. He won all of his matches after that. <laughs> that is fucking nuts, dude. That is crazy. Oh. And then and then and then recorded my matches for me later in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are just savages. I'm not that type of savage, man. I'm tough, but yeah. god damn, that is yeah, nuts. Dude. Uh, now that I told the story, his name is Gary Starr out of uh, out of Sarah's. In, okay. Uh, he won't Long mind. Island. And if his ankle, his ankle might have been just dislocated. I'm hoping for his sake or something. Yeah. But man, like it sounded like balsa wood breaking, oh. and I thought I thought he was done. Done. 
That's crazy. But man, man. like, like he, it was funny. Like, he, I see him like sitting over by my mat when I'm competing later in the day with his leg elevated. I'm like, you're still here, huh? He goes, yeah, I had to finish my division. that's crazy that is really crazy um what what do you think about this uh especially because you got such a unique unorthodox reactionary style that is sort of being in tune with what your opponent's doing to you i mean not that you don't have a developed game that you implement do you think that you're one of those people that learns has learned more through rolling than the average person and maybe less through drilling? Or what do you think about the whole drilling versus rolling goal oriented situational? Where, where do you get the most of your skills you think? So like, for example, just for example, um, my most recent fight to win match was for the fight to win heavyweight Round Bell Masters Nogi title. Look now, cool. Um, and when I had that match, are you, are you still comfortable? Are you good? Uh, when I had that match, um, I ha- I got it with a week's notice. Like I got it like a week. I, I got offered the match on I think like Saturday or Sunday, and I'm competing the following. I want to say Saturday or maybe Friday. I I don't remember the exact timing, but it was. Something to that effect. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, what do I want to do? What do I want to do in this match? You know what? I don't know that anyone's ever won a fight to win heavyweight title by him and That's what I want to win with. <laughs> so what I did was I just drilled him rolls on big motherfuckers for like four or five days, you know, in the lead up to the match. Every fucking round. I would start out with like 10, 15 Imanari rolls on both sides, different styles of Imanari rolls, different like configurations, backside, frontside, DOA entries from Imanari rolls, all that shit, like inverted entries, which I consider still an Imanari roll. Um, that's all I did, like for a week. And then I went out there and I hit an Imanari roll at the beginning of the match, and then I won later on in the match with an Imanari roll. Damn. That, that, so that's like, good to know, yeah. So like, and like, for example, another one that I was, that I take some pride in is the, uh, the, 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 when I, when I debarred, uh, I, I won a submission of the, I won a submission of the night and fight to win by hitting a knee bar. So my opponent, I had a month to prepare for that match because they used to give us more time for those back in the day. Right. Um, my opponent's last name was Stagney. Stagney. Sad, like sad, like. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's the guy's last name. Yeah. And when I when I realized that was his last (laughs) name, I was like, oh fuck. So all I did was drill knee bar entries from closed guard. (laughs) All I did for like a month. (sighs) And then yeah. And And then then I knee bar it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that definitely explains a little bit of your character. <laughs> I think for those who don't know you, that is a very you thing. Um, I didn't know that story. That's great. Yeah. And just to let you know, obviously, like if your buddy gets tired holding the camera or whatever, there's no, I don't have any, there's no timeline, whatever, whatever works for you works for no, me. No, no, no. I just, I, I just checked out. He's, he's, so what he's doing, he's resting it on his leg and he's got his hand supporting it. So like, okay, perfect. It seems like it's okay. Are you okay? All right, cool. Good. Cool. Hey, uh, this is this is 
a question I wanted to get into. So I knew that you were a fan of prog metal. I was listening to the last episode you did on BJJ fanatics. It's funny. You actually mentioned Devin Townsend. When I was younger, I saw strapping young lad, a bunch. I was, oh, yeah. I, so, be, I, I, I missed out on them. Like they kind of stopped touring as I got into the genre. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just wondering, you know, if it doesn't matter if it's prog metal or anything, like what kind of stuff have you been listening to or what, what are like your big pillars of like, these are my favorite bands, you know, that you sign your name to. I mean, so like last maybe week, two weeks, month or so, it's been a lot of spirit box. Okay. I don't know who that is. Cool. You don't know who that is? I don't know who that is. Nope. So they're a Canadian. They're actually super popular right now. Like, they're huge right now. Okay. They're a Canadian, like, core band. Like, metalcore-ish. But, man, they're fucking good. Like, they're really good. Like, insanely good. It's a female-fronted... I think I I classify them as prog metal. Honestly, cool. Like they're classified like metalcore. Yeah, yeah. Really good. Like there's them. Uh, I recently got into this band Current. Yeah, they've popped. I I know them. I don't know their albums or anything, but I know them. They're amazing. Like I recently started, like just this week. Um, I mean staples. Like last year, my main listens were I listened to. uh, The number one band for me last year was a band called Vola. V O L A. Cool. They're, I don't know exactly where they're from. They're from, uh, I, I want to say like they're like multinational, like Norwegian and British. But they're, they're genre bending. Like they're very, uh, like they have like a rap song on the album. They have like this like shoegazy, like. Cool. They're really cool. And then um, my second most listened to band was uh, Soen. You're Soen? No, man, but it's cool. I, I want you to anything. Yeah, it's good if I don't know, because I don't care. People who listen to this, they like all types of music, so it's good to just yeah. get shit that nobody knows. I don't care. So Sewin, Sewin is like, so Sewin has, I want to say, the bassist from uh, Death, the yeah, former yeah. drummer from uh, Opeth, like it, it's a fucking they're a super group and they sound like tool 4.0 like they sound like tool but like their songwriting is much more um i don't even know how to explain it like their songwriting is fantastic there's them um and then i think my number three band was unleash the archers yeah yep Pretty straightforward uh, thrash power metal band. Um, and then uh, lately, I've also been listening to a lot of a band called Tulip. Don't like know the that. flower. Yeah, yeah. They're from, Texas, they're from Texas, of all places. They sound like Devin Townsend Project if Anakin von Giersbergen and Devin switch spots. Gotcha. Cool. They're good. Like, they're really good. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. I always like check. I, I, I love just, I like knowing people's favorite things. So then it's kind of like, you know, it kind of like represents you in a weird way. And, and, and it, it means something if it's your favorite fucking thing. Cause some bands, it's just like, God, no, this, this is a cool band and all, but it could be nobody's favorite band. 
Like sometimes there's just bands where they don't have enough of like a, something, even, you know, something special or something stand out. So it's nice to, it's nice to kind of spotlight your favorite, favorite. I mean, bands. it changes, like it changes all the time. Like, yeah. Like last, like this time last year, I was following to a lot of Pentakill. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard of them? Yeah. Yeah. Pentakill is cool, man. Pentakill is really cool. It's a, it's a band that it's a fictitious band made up for a video game. Yeah, so I have a friend. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have, I don't listen to the album. So, uh, wow, it was made up for a video game. You know, okay, see, I didn't know that. League, League, you know the game League of Legends? Yes. They made up a fucking band for the game, and the band has put out like three albums. Oh, All of which okay. are amazing. That and, makes like, sense. The band is made up of like, they got Danny Loner from uh, Nine Inch Nails. They got, right, uh, right. One of the guys from the Z-Rack, they got Yorn Land, they got uh, the chick from uh, Battle Beast. Like, it's just like this random hot like, like right. it's a fucking crazy band. Another one, another one that I've listened to quite a bit lately, and this is, you know, it's just coincidental that I'm actually friends with the singer, as is Sean and Cody Stevens. Um, Meridian Dawn, have you heard of them? No. Never. So I don't know if Sean or if you've heard of uh, Anthony Hamalainen. Have you nope. heard of Anthony Hamalainen? I don't know who that so is. Anthony Hamalainen. There's a funny, it's a funny story. Um, I've been listening to metal for quite some time. There's a band called Night Rage. Night yes. Rage. I think um, I know. Maybe I know. They, I don't. They're a, they're a melodic death metal band. I want to say like they're considered to be. Uh, multinational like their main members are from greece and then they have like some swedish and uh norwegian guys in it or finnish really? their singer their singer when i saw them was this guy by the name of anthony hamalainen and uh anthony and i hit it off um when we met like uh, the show and then I, I added him on facebook and he kept posting about ufc fights my knees are shot and then a couple of years later i see pictures of him training at marcello holy shit that's cool so i was in the city visiting my wife's family and i reached out to him. i go hey do you still train at marcello he's like no i'm not training right now i was like well meet me at dan covell's gym we'll train there and then he met me there and he joined that gym right on the spot so he started training again and then he moved to Ohio, and then he moved to Mansfield. He was like, where should I train in Mansfield? I'm like, well, I got these two guys I know, Cody Stevens and Sean Doggerty. Um, just train with them. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, dude, yeah, that, he's, that's he's, really he's cool. In, he's, he's in this band, he was in this band called Night Rage, Left Night Rage. Then he was in a band called Armageddon. Don't know uh, that. But, so that's a super group. It had Anthony as the singer, and I think uh, the Amat brothers from uh, from Arch Enemy. Oh yeah, guitars. yeah. Like they're good. They're good. They play. I think their biggest gig was Loud Park in Japan. Um, right. And then now he's playing with his band called Meridian Dawn. And honestly, like I can't get enough of it. It's a really good. It's a really good project. I highly recommend anybody listening to check out Meridian Dawn. 
Yeah, it's interesting, man. See, you're naming a lot of stuff that I think, like I haven't been as into, especially like in the metal scene, the last handful of years, you know, when I was, I mean, I, I was back when like Mastodon wasn't even really prog metal yet. And they just had a couple albums and Baroness was starting to hit the scene. And then I know they went more like rock direction, but you had like ISIS and you had, um, all sorts of stuff. And I listened to a lot of like the yeah. long, slower sludge, like YOB and, and, and that sort of thing. Did you ever hear of a band called the ocean though? The ocean? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I love the ocean. They're actually, so I go annually. I, I actually really like their, uh, what's it called? That, um, pelagic. Pelagian. Yeah. The, 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 the no, no, Pel from the ocean. Uh, it was the one um, with a double album. Um, uh, oh, it's like their fourth and fifth. It was after Heliocentric and Anthropocentric. Yes, yes, the next two. Yes. Yeah. No, that was the one. Heliocentric and Anthropocentric. Yeah. They did the one after that. They did the okay. one after that um, where they did all the videos for it. Have you ever seen them live? Yes. Crazy. I saw them back when they only had one album. or well, They had a second album, but it was the first album with vocals, Alien. Was the so album I, before yeah. Precambrian, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. So my first time seeing them, uh, they played. This is gonna. This is gonna, this is gonna be kind of, this is kind of a crazy show. It was uh, the headliner was Devin Townsend. Right. Then you had Tesseract on yeah. their first EP, on their very first EP. Like they didn't even have a full album out yet. And then you had the Ocean. Oh. Bro. That was a show. That was a fucking show. Um, yeah, the Ocean. Funny, uh, funny story. They played at the at this like tiny club here in Cleveland, and uh, I wanted to go. And I I had seen that they posted something about like if you buy us food, we'll uh, we'll barter with you. We'll give you something. So I bought so I bought them uh, pizza in exchange for for a ticket and a tour shirt. And uh, their drummer actually went and helped me like pick up the pizza. Nice. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome, like dude. Yeah, it's stuff like that. It was a funny experience. There, uh, I go in Atlanta, Georgia, Frog Power Day. It, it focuses on progressive and power metal, and they're playing it this year. Oh, nice. Yeah, I haven't heard yeah, the last the release. New album, the new was that? I haven't heard their newest release or two, I don't think. It's good. It's good. Frenozoic, I think it's called. They, they, yeah. their, their, album, their album names and like the, the topics are weird to me. Like They're really focused on like nature and, and biology. Like, weird. Oh, yeah, dude. Well, they're su yeah, it's super conceptual. It's all about, yeah, the science shit and the earthly shit and religion. And every, every album has its own thing. For those who don't know that, well, it's interesting. People who are into like that tool sort of concept stuff would probably appreciate them. When they started, it was much more like crushing metal, uh, but they started as a collective. It was just a recording project where they had like on their first uh, album with vocals, I think there was like eight different people singing on it. And, and it wasn't until they came out with that, that double album after Precambrian that they solidified yeah. with like a lineup and started really... Heliocentric and anthro, anthropocentric. 
Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's it. And those were those were like religious ish sort of talk, I guess. Who made who made your architect? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy Fucking shit. Amazing. Man. Amazing. Amazing. I, I, I do you know if Sean's heard of them? I gotta check I if Sean. No. I hey, Sean, I, if you're listening, if you're listening, Sean, check these motherfuckers out. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool, man. Yeah, Sean's another one where it's like you guys have uh you know, you, you've taken time to appreciate music that you identify with. It's not just that like, oh, this is what everybody likes, so you should like it. And and even if you find your genre, you still just kind of like what everyone likes. I always appreciate when somebody has taken the time to figure out what they actually like and go in deep into a genre, whether it's music, movies, <laughs> whatever. Go in deep, find what you like, and explore some shit nobody knows. Yep. It's no, especially the, 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 the craziest shit is like going to see some of these guys live or like interacting with them because it's almost like in jujitsu, you can, you can have crazy experiences training with, you know, some of the all time great. Like, yeah, you, really, like you can have those crazy kinds of experiences. I've had some crazy experiences with, uh, like, you know, I, I have like, a, like an awesome, uh, I met Devin Townsend one time. It was just a crazy experience to like meet this guy. Wow. You know, and it wasn't, it wasn't like I paid for a meet and greet or something. He was hanging out after his set when he opened for uh, Children of Bodom. Wow. R.I.P. Damn, he was uh, opening for them? Yeah. I guess they're bigger than him. They're, they were huge, man. Yeah, I guess you're Bodum, right. Yeah. And they were, like, Bodum was huge. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, that that so my uh my I'm I'm also into a lot of like like rock and grunge rock and that kind of stuff. Like the main would be like the queens of the stone ages and all that kind of stuff. But um my favorite two people do the same thing. So local H, if you remember the 90s rock band Local H, uh they had that song, just don't get it, keep it copacetic, and you you know, born to be down. Anyway, I'm not doing it justice, but that's awful. But that's exactly how it sounds, by the way. No, um, local H was just a two man rock group and they always hang out after the show. And it's like, and another guy, Mark Lanigan, who was in the screaming trees and stuff, but you see these people live, they're your favorite people ever, but because they're not the Beatles and because they're not, you know, whatever slipknot or whoever they're hanging around and you get to have normal conversations and you can appreciate it as if you met like and, and jujitsu offers that. Like I, I remember the first time I got to meet people who were like, Holy shit, dude, you are like a jujitsu celebrity and you're just hanging out and you're having conversations. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing when Hoist Gracie's in a room or something, but pretty much everybody who's not like the, the main three or four names, they're just there to hang, hang out and have conversations. They're just guys. They're, they're just, just fucking guys. Yes. You know, it, it, it's crazy to me. Like, I, you know, some of the guys I've gotten to if I was doing my own podcast mid pandemic when everything was shut down, but you did something to occupy my brain and my time. And yeah. uh, I mean, I got to like, like I had like uh, probably my biggest guest was Sean Patrick Flannery. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. The movie he just did the jujitsu movie. Yeah, um, and and uh, he's a guy, man. This guy likes to train. Yeah. 
You're uh, you're breaking up a little bit, but I think we'll probably Remember, even out in a second. Okay. Oh, you're back. Uh, I can hear you better now. Okay. We're yeah, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Well, I just went cool. through a dead zone or something. Um, yeah. No, it's cool. It's not, too, it's not a bad drive here. It, it's very open. So, like, I assume. You there? Uh, you are. Yeah, I can hear you now. What it okay, does, cool. see, it does this stupid thing where it, it switches you back from like low and high bandwidth. And then that's when it'll like cut out when it's trying to downgrade and upgrade in quality. So if it skips out, usually it takes a few seconds to upgrade back to high bandwidth quality or whatever the fuck it does. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we're good. We're good. Who was cool. the first like jujitsu celebrity you saw? Unless you were in the middle of something you want to talk about, but who was the first like no, no, no. celebrity you met? Where you're like, holy crap, you're so and so. I mean, so when I first <clears throat> when I first started training again was when I actually started like training proper jujitsu in the gi with like people that actually are black belt. Um, and my original instructor, when I started training again, was Ricardo Perez. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of him? Yeah. So Ricardo Perez is a fourth degree black belt, or I think he might be a fifth or sixth degree black belt now, uh, under uh, Sergio Pena um, and under Osvaldo Alves. And now he's, I think, under Gracie Baja. And he was Frank Mir's jiu-jitsu coach. He was... Uh, that makes he, sense. Keith Herring's jiu-jitsu coach. Like, so like, he was, you know, he was a guy. He was a, he was a name, I guess, ish, right? But, like, right. when I, and then when I was training, I, um, I don't remember if it was Pablo Popovich, uh, Pejapano, or uh, Ushesha that I, I met first. One of those three, I went to their seminar fairly early on. So, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, um, when, when you, uh, I mean, for people who don't know, I mean, you at least have run into, I know you probably don't train with him much, you know, he's caught up in the MMA stuff, but Stipe is a strong style guy. I'm sure there are times you're in the same room as that guy, right? If he's, a, if he's around, I'm in the same room as him. Like when yeah. he's training for a fight, I'm in the same room as him. Yeah. So that, that talk about a way to just make it sort of, even the playing field of we're just a bunch of humans and nothing is Man, let, a celebrity. Let, <laughs> I got two, I got three Stipe stories that I think like characterize what he's like. Yeah. My first Stipe story, my first day at strong style. Okay. More white belt, nobody I'm in the locker room getting changed. Stipe comes in. He's having a conversation with a couple of the guys. They're like, they're talking and they're like walking and talking, going into the locker room. I'm like, oh shit, that's Stipe. Like he was already in the UFC. I think he was already close to title contention at the time, you know? So like, I knew exactly who he was. Right. So he comes in, he's just talking to these guys, right? And I'm just there. Like, I'm just kind of there. I'm the only guy in the locker room. I'm getting changed. And he turns, he goes, oh shit, I'm sorry. My name's Stipe. What's your name? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that was my first right, that was my first interaction like wow and then uh, another time um, I was 
doing, I had done some, uh, some articles for a uh, guy up in Nova Scotia who's running uh, promotions up there, uh, Cat Clark. He runs, uh, he did Submission Series Pro. Now he does uh, Fight League Atlantic, as they call it. Um, he does he does these super fight cards. And he'd asked me to get Stipe to do a video for a local kid up there that had cancer. Like one of the local kids up in up, up that way uh, had been diagnosed with cancer, and they were collecting videos of his favorite fighters wishing him well. And he reached out to me and he asked me if I could try to get Stephen to do that. I'm like, listen, I don't really know this guy. Like we train at the same place, we see each other all the time. He probably knows who I am, maybe, but that's about it. I can try, but I make no promises. So I, I come up to Stipe one day when he was kind of had a lull of the training session. And I asked him, like, hey, there's a, kid, there's a sick kid. His coach asked me to see if I could get you to make a video for him. And he's like, I, I don't have time right now. I'm in the middle of uh, filming a season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, hit me up in, like, two weeks. And I took that as a no. Right, like, right. If I, you know, it's, it's, it's a two-second thing. If you can't do this for me right now, I'm not going to ask you again. Nothing against you, but I'm just not going to press the subject. He approaches me two weeks later, goes, hey, I have time right now. Let's make that video. Huh. That's cool. And that's when he's like. That's the kind of guy. Yeah, he's coaching the ultimate fighter. He's the, you know, on top of the world at the time. And yeah, he still thought about that. It shows you how human they are too. It's on his mind. Like he's self-conscious about the fact that there's this kid and the, he got asked to do this thing. And he's like, ah, shit, I should circle back to this. <laughs> he probably, yeah. he probably thought about it over the hey. two weeks. Yeah, I mean, whatever it is, listen, I mean, the guy, the guy is still very much a human being, and he's a good human being, from what I can tell. I don't know him very well, but, like, you know, at least, at least everything I can tell about the guy, he seems like a good, like a good person. Right. You said you had, you know, do you know the third story? The third, so the third story was uh, my, my very first fight to win. I was a purple belt, right? My yeah. first fight to win. Um, he was there. He was just there hanging out. And just the way like just the way he acted, man, like he was there as our support. Like last year I won, he was like, you know, we were all kind of free geeking out and he was geeking out with us. I was like, Really? <laughs> really? You? Cool. And like the way he interacted with my wife, like he comes up there, he's like, Hey, my name is Stipe. Like, really? <laughs> That's awesome, like, dude. Such a nice, such a nice person. Yeah. How so like much? That, that, I wish more people were like him, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I admire the way he is. I can tell. I'm not surprised at all. Like, you can just see the genuine kind of nice, sweet, I don't want to step on anybody's toes style with him. You know, I, I, I can see that. It's, it's yeah. funny when heavyweights who are on top of the world, best fighters in the world, carry themselves <laughs> like that. You wish more people would like that. That's a thing in the jujitsu MMA thing. Everyone talks about how jujitsu and fighting and, and all that, it aligns people with like a better way and a more noble path. But 
dude, sometimes it gives, it feeds people's egos and it can yep. make a monster. It can make the, the, the level one boss of a video game turn into the super villain of the entire thing. Yeah. So yeah that, 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 that's just it. Like we see it with, with, you know, I see it all the time. Like there's guys like, you know, brown belts that are decent, like decent competitive brown belts that think that their shit don't stick. It's like, bro, you get fucked up like anybody else. Like I remember I had this, uh, this fight to win match in the key uh, at brown belt. I'm not going to name the guy's name or anything. Um, but, you know, he had a certain kind of like, air about him because he's a much better competitor than I am. Right. And I, I do I knew it. He knew it. And he had just kind of a certain kind of like this kid's not worth my time type of attitude. And I, I beat him fairly soundly. And you could just tell that he was getting frustrated as it was happening. Like maybe if you weren't maybe you didn't take yourself so seriously, yeah. this wouldn't be that big of a deal for you. Doesn't that make you better? It makes me so much better, dude. Like I went viral for a while because a guy waved to my camera, black belt, went on fight to win pro. And then he started taunting me and like sat up in my guard playfully. And I choked him out with an arm triangle in his guard. I don't know if you ever saw that video, but I was in his clothes. Yeah, I was in his clothes guard and he's waving to my camera and he's being playful. And, you know, I'm a brand new purple belt. And he's like, just horsing around. And next thing you know, he's asleep in clothes guard. And I know, I know that that moment happened because his ass not only thought he was way better than me and, and he shouldn't have been so arrogant, but because he waved to my camera and was taunting me. Like you just, that, that brings out the killer in somebody, you know, and, and that you have that kind of Absolutely. thing. Like there's a guy standing across from you that you might not be able to beat until that motherfucker does something that makes you be like, all right, now I'm going to fucking win. <laughs> it is. It's like, it brings it out, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and the thing is that one thing a lot of people don't realize I may not be the most technical. I may not be the most athletic, but I'm pretty good at strategizing even on the fly. Yeah. And yeah. You know, if you're not absolutely smothering me and just holding me in position indefinitely, I can win. Yeah. I, the on the fly and thing. I may not win, but I can. I know what you mean. Yeah. The, the on the fly thing is what made me curious about how much you learn while you roll versus drilling. Like, obviously you have a style where, you know, moves and you've, you've learned a lot and I'm sure you've drilled a lot, but you really seem like the type of person that likes to get in that improv mode. And I mean, well, that's kind of, that's kind of what, what happens when you get into that. All right, do your thing. And then you choose your timing, you choose your entry um, it, it, I love the imp improvisational style. It depends, man. It depends. It all depends on the match and the opponent. Like a great example, a great like case study uh, was my first match against Joe Bays. And okay. for anybody who doesn't so. know, Joe Bays is. Do you know who that is? Yeah, dude. I do. I was just sharing a video of him breaking bats with <laughs> with an ankle lock grip or whatever. He's crazy, dude. Yeah. Have you seen my matches against him? No, I, I knew you went against him, but I haven't I've, seen him. I've had three matches. I've had three <laughs> okay, matches let's him. hear all of them. Yeah, I'm curious. And by, by the way, for the record, before I even get started, I love Joe Bays. He's a great human being. Any, you know, any pride I take in having gone against him is entirely based on the esteem that I hold him in. 
So, like, if anybody, you know, takes this as me talking shit about Joe, no. No. I love love Joe Bays as a human being and as a grappler. Um, I've been following him since I was a white belt, like, closely. Um, And I'm a black belt now. Um, And when I was a white belt, when I was a fairly new white belt, my third competition ever, I saw him do a super fight against Josh Souter, who's a, another, you know, accomplished black belt from, uh, he was originally from this area, but he's now lives in Florida. And Souter and Joe looked, could not have looked more di- dissimilar. Souter was like this little muscle ball, you know, very muscular looking, wearing like a pair of, uh, you know, sponsored up Bali Judo shorts and a nice tight rash guard. Joe comes out like what looks like a pair of basketball shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> Joe looked like he had just rolled out of bed. And he comes out there and he juggles this man on his feet for like 10 minutes. The, the guy could not do... The guy was terrified for his life the entire time. Powder. Yeah. And I was like, wait, this is a way one can do jujitsu? Like, you can just... You can just do this? This is a thing that people can do? And I wanted, I wanted so bad for that to be me. You know? Like, I wanted so badly that that, for that my style one day. Even, for me to even be able to emulate it poorly. Right. And uh, so I got offered a match against Joe, and all I did was I just researched every fucking match he had done that was on the internet. I took months to prepare. Like, I had a long time. So I watched every video I could find of Joe competing. And I charted, <clears throat> excuse me, which submission on which limb. And I found and there was We lost a meal. I know it's been a little shaky, but um, hopefully we can get this story finished with Joe Bays and uh, I'll have him start back where he was if he hops back on. Let me go ahead and message him and see if I can get him back on. I am sending him a message. Lost you. Yeah, I know it's been shaky, but um, hopefully. Oh, here we go. He is coming back. Well, he's trying to. Let's see. I don't really like the idea of cutting stuff out of the podcast. So I like to just keep the original files as is, but we'll see about this one. Oh, I can hear you. Um, I, I can hear you uh, a little bit. 
Let's give it a second. There's no video. Oh, uh, uh, are you there? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, can um, you hear me? I can hear you now. Yeah, how's your connection? Oh, yeah, okay, perfect. Um, cool. Well, how about we try to... Yeah, so I'll tell you where I lost you, though, because you might have thought... I lost you back when you were talking about you saw that he was going for submissions on specific limbs and then it started getting a little shaky. So let's okay. start there. So I drilled my defense against those submissions <clears throat> on those limbs. Like those, like I only drilled the side that I need to drill it on. Huh. And then what, <clears throat> and then in the match, I knew that his upper body finishing rate was, was at the time, <clears throat> excuse me, lower than his lower body finishing rate. So I pulled side control fresh out the gate. Ah, oh, wow. So I pulled bottom side control fresh out the gate. And, you know, he's attacking my upper body, attacking my upper body, attacking my upper body. Realizes that time is running and decides to go for a lower body entry while I'm actively defending against the entry altogether. And that's how I was able to beat him. Because he went for a lower body entry that was ill-advised. And in the process, I caught him. Was that your, like, biggest win at the time? <laughs> oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. How'd the other two matches go? And still, I mean, depending, depending on how you... Was that... How'd the other two matches go? Well, yes, you're going to just say still, it's probably one of your biggest wins either way, but how'd, how'd the other matches go? Uh, so the second match, um, I, I think Joe is probably most unhappy about the second match. Um, it was, I tried to employ the same strategy. This time, Joe was content to pin and punish, but it was an EBI rules match. It went to overtime. I beat him in overtime and then he got very frustrated. <laughs> I've had that happen. I feel bad winning those types of matches, but a win's a win. Yeah. No, I, it was, it was one of those ones. Either one of us was satisfied with it. Joe basically in the mo in the heat of the moment, like kind of rage quit. Yeah. Um, it, it's out there. You can see the match. <laughs> um, again, I, I, Joe like immediately, and profusely apologized. Like it wasn't, you know, I have nothing, nothing but good things about Joe. And then the third match uh, was at the Arnold Classic in 2020. It was the same day I faced your buddy Victor. Yeah. Um, and uh, in that one, I played a different strategy. I was like, all right, fuck it. Let him go to my leg. Let's see what fucking happens. And so he got under me. And then I got the heebie-jeebies right then and there. I gave him my back. So he took my back. And then when he was on my back, I started attacking his feet while defending my neck. Like, I'm, like, stomping on his feet while he's on my back. So he gives up the back. I recover guard. I shoot a triangle. He defends the triangle, and I leg-locked him off of that. Oh, my God. So you're 3-0 and o against him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be clear, we've trained a bunch since then. I don't think we're ever going to compete again. I hope not. I like, I adore Joe. I absolutely yeah. adore him. And uh, he, he still terrifies me. Was he clear. a coal miner? Is he a coal miner or something? He was. So he retired from coal mining and has since taken up 
um, what's it called? Um, has since taken up. He's a police officer now. Give me one second. I need to make sure my GPS is still running. You're good. All right, cool. We're good. Sweet. See what you're saying? Yeah, yeah I, that was, that's awesome. That's th- those that's, are those are some big wins. Yeah, he's retired. He's since retired from competition, at least for the moment, because of his uh, career as a police officer. Damn. Which I don't, I don't fully understand why that, why he has to retire from competition for that. But you know, Joe made up his mind. And that's what that's happening. Yeah. Anybody who doesn't know Joe Bays, you should look him up. That, that those are awesome wins. The guy breaks multiple bats at the at the same time. Have you seen that? And his dog, his dog gets startled. The bats crack and his dog like jumps up in the air. Like, what the fuck? Like, dad's up to this shit again. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. funny. Before he made that video, he sends me a message. He's like, should I do it? Should I, should I do two bats? I'm like, no, Joe, you should not do two bats. He's like, I'm going to do two bats. I'm like, okay, Joe, you do whatever the <laughs> hell makes you happy. Scary, scary fuck. <laughs> he yeah. scares the fuck out of me, dude. Like, He's a nicer guy, but he is fucking terrifying. Yeah, he's a that that's that's that man toughness, blue collar strength. That is a different level of intimidation. My main training partner is an elevator repairman. What's well, funny because like, yeah, what's well, it's funny because like he's also, I mean, he's a very cerebral and um, a very sensitive person. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you haven't checked it out, check out some of his podcast episodes where he talks about, like, his own, you know, his own demons and his own triumphs. He's I've an heard one. Person. Yeah, I've he's heard actually, one, like, the depression and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great human being, I think. I agree. I mean, from what I can tell, I mean, I don't know him like you know him, but yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a good dude. Um, maybe he's somebody I'll try and reach out to, but... uh yeah, man. So um, you're going to train with some good dudes today. What what's uh, what's coming up for you? What are you looking forward to do? Is is there any big events or anything coming up? What what do you got going on? So the only um, the only thing on the record right now is uh, Sapatero okay. coming up at the end of this month. Uh, division's got uh, John Combs, Adrian Nez. Um, it's got uh, J-Rod, Nicky Rod's wow. younger brother. Um, it's got uh, Kevin Gallagher, um, Sam Barbosa, um, Jason Valle, who I don't know much about, but like he had a really good, uh, really good performance at the Sapatero uh, qualifier that they did. A lot of losing in the finals. The guy that won the whole thing, but I think that the guy couldn't make it to the event or something. Right. Uh, Quentin Rosenswig. Uh, I, I, I'm sure there's like one or two other guys in the bracket right. that I'm drawing a blank on, but those are the names that I'm remembering right now. It's a scary. It's a scary field. Yeah, that that's a hell of a lineup, man. That's exciting. Um, I got, I'll tell you, uh, I want to finish a certain way before we do that. Let, let's just make sure people know your, what is your Instagram handle or any other way you want people to 
get in contact, find you, follow you, all that sort of shit. <coughs> Whatever you want to plug. Yeah, so, you, you have a, instructionals and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, my uh, my Instagram and Facebook pages are at Emil Fisher BJJ. That's E M I L F I S C H E R BJJ. Um, you find me on there. Lately, I've been doing a lot of reels because uh, Facebook is paying money for reels for some reason. Oh, the I didn't know that. Thing. Bro, it's been it's been nothing. If you have an athlete page or a business page or something, post as many fucking reels as you can. If you go viral enough, and I don't know what that threshold is, but if you go viral enough, Facebook will offer you money to post reels, and the money is fantastic right now. Uh, no it's shit. like it's, it, it's an absurd amount of money, like absurd, like ridiculous. I, I, I don't know how it's sustainable or how they're doing it, but I will take it. I'll take every penny that they'll give me. Um, so there's that. Uh, and then my instructional content, <clears throat> excuse me, this funny. Uh, my instructional content, I got a DVD or a VOD available on Combat On Demand. Uh, it's on the Burt Reynolds Guard. And then I do a lot of short form instructionals, which is like five to 10 minute long on a website called Rockfin, that's R-O-K-F-I-N. Um, if you subscribe to my channel, which is rockfin.com slash BJJ as spelled prior, uh, I will actually customize the uh, weekly content to suit whatever you're looking for. So like if anybody signs up and reaches out to me and goes, hey, I want your take on you know XYZ technique, I will make that week's technique the XYZ technique. And, there's not much of a line for it, so just saying. You know, it's basically like a video private lesson for ten bucks a month, um, and you get access to other content. Um, so there's that. Very nice. Um, so my final question for you, or, or sort of thing, I'm going to say two things, and then you just follow up with anything else you want to put out there. I know two things that you really believe in, and. I've heard you mention, and uh, you talked about one of them, and I mentioned the other one so far this episode. But if anybody's listening and they're like, man, what are some things I could do? I know that you preach studying footage of any opponent you're going to have, studying footage and film. And you talked about breaking down videos, and it clearly paid off in, in what you were talking about today. The other thing is learning how to shrimp. I've heard you mention that there are black belts that don't even really know how to shrimp away. Get One of my great friends, Todd Margolis, is a guy who has a thing called the Margolis shrimp. And I mean, this guy was on back of jujitsu mag in like 04. And just to give the, the level of importance of shrimping, the only content he puts out really is shrimp related content. So what yeah. else is, those are two big things. Video footage, shrimping, what else, anything that you want to add to that? people should do um have fun have fun set set micro goals like one of the things i think a lot of people do is they set these goals that they don't have any control over like they set a goal i'm gonna win this tournament that's my goal and then they go out there maybe they win maybe they lose right that's 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 a, a kind of goal setting that a lot of people do and i think that's a self-defeating mindset instead set goals that if you actually try to accomplish you will accomplish um i, I think that that's that's a, that's a key element that has allowed me 
to stay motivated, stay focused. Like I will set a goal for the number of training sessions in my week. I will set a goal for the number of reps per side on a technique. I will set that kind of a goal. Right. Um, goal to compete, not to win, but to compete at an event that I want to compete at. Setting goals that involve the outcome of the match or that involve things that are out of your control are self-defeating and will frustrate you. Yeah, I like that. That's awesome. Do you make like little goals like that within a competition? Like this time I'm going to just clearly have fun. This time I might try to wrestle this time leg locks. Do you, do you kind of have that sort of approach to competing? Uh, I'm sorry. What was that? When, when you do like a tournament, especially if you're going to have multiple matches, do you have those sort of little fun goals? Maybe this time I'm going to try to get on top of all my opponents. This time I, I don't want a match to go to a decision, um, whatever. Do you have like micro goals within co competitions? Um, it depends on the level of the competition, right? Like if I'm competing against local blue belts as a, you know, as a competitive black belt, then yes, I will fuck around and find out. If I win, I win. If I lose, I lose. You know, like, that's the mindset. Right. If I'm competing, like, I, I care less about winning or losing against guys I've never heard of. And I'll set goals in those matches. And I'll do, I'll do things I don't normally do. Like, for example, here's a great example. A couple months ago, I had a match against a friend of mine. Oh, uh, Mute got hit somehow. You, you're back. Yeah, I was getting a call. Oh, okay. Uh, but in that match, um, I knew that I was going to win. I knew that I, I, I've trained with this person extensively. He's a legit black belt. He's a legit instructor. He's a great human being. He's not a competitor, really. Like He has competed a little bit, and he wants to compete more, but he is not a competitor. So what I did was I decided that I was going to only pull guard if there was a reason for it. Like I was not going to just pull guard. I was going to stand with this man until I saw something that would, you know, be a reason. So like I wound up pulling guard off a guillotine. Like I had a guillotine. I tried to finish the guillotine, fucked it up, wound up on my butt. I was like, all right, I'm going to play guard now. But until that point, I was standing up with the guy and I was playing a wrestler's game. Right. You know, set stuff up off of that, trying to set up like inside ties, things like that. So, yeah, I do that sometimes. But if I'm going against Joe Bays, I'm trying to win. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, man. Um, well, hey, I appreciate the conversation. It's been a lot of fun. Have some killer training. Go kick some ass in that tournament. And, uh, <laughs> yep, stay in touch. I'll talk to you, man. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yep. See ya.